Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to us, me and you, about what type of attitude shows up for different things around anxiety or OCD. And it could be a good thing. You know, attitude's not a negative thing. It could be, wow, we're showing up with this attitude that really empowers our kids. Or, you know, or and or, sometimes we show up with an attitude that actually can disempower our kids unintentionally. And I'm always working on myself and I'm always trying to improve my perceptions and my mindset and my attitude. And I thought it would be a good conversation to have with you because it's one of the hardest components, I think, of raising a child with anxiety or OCD is keeping our attitude in check because it is so, so hard. So I want to just talk to you about that. And I want to talk to you about it in a very self-compassionate way, self-compassionate to myself and hoping that you'll be self-compassionate to yourself as we talk about how to tweak things in a loving way so that we can show up in the best way that we can some of the time, because <laughs> it's never going to be hundred percent. Before we get started though, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy, and they are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I also want to let you know that I am running my free series, Survival Tools for Parents Raising Kids with Anxiety or OCD. I run this twice a year. And so if you have joined before and you want a refresher or you've never joined my free series, you can sign up at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. That's atparentingsurvivalseries.com. The series starts on November 10th, 2022, for those of you that are listening into the way out future, but you can listen to the videos at any time throughout the series as they come out. The videos kind of trickle out throughout the week. And then I also have a temporary Facebook group that I always create when I do a series so that I can go in there live and teach deeper, answer your questions, um, make it more in depth. And that's why people tend to join my series multiple times because every time there's a different conversation, there's different people in there, it's different dialogue. I know a lot of parents have emailed me and said, you know, I take your series each time and I mark it on the calendar. And and for that week, I set an intention that that's what I'm really going to focus on whatever the series is about. And so this one is about building up your tools and your toolkit. I have another one that's on self-care and those are different goals, different intentions. We should always be working on both of them in a perfect world, but So maybe carve out a week this upcoming week, starting November 10th, and it ends November 18th. So any time in the middle of that, you can join it at any time and, you know, commit to yourself. I'm going to, I'm going to really focus on just revamping my, my, my skills. The goal of this series is how to create a therapeutic home environment. And so anyone who's raising a kid with anxiety or OCD for any age We have parents that join who have toddlers. We have parents who join who have young adults living at home. So it really, it doesn't matter the age range. And we have a lot of parents in there who join for comorbid conditions. So they might have anxiety, OCD, or ADHD, or ASD, or all those alphabet soup type of things. So I hope to see you over there. It's a gift. You know, it's a free thing that I dive into to support the community. And I hope that you participate. All right. I want to talk about our theme for today which is attitude. And I was thinking about this because as always, things were coming up in my house where I realized that my attitude had an impact on my kids' anxiety or OCD, sometimes good and sometimes bad. And I thought it would be good to talk about because I I do like talking a lot about mindset and perceptions and supporting you. And a big part of that, well, a big, big part of that is I have done literally every topic on anxiety or OCD. So if your child has symmetry OCD or sensory motor OCD or existential OCD or has anxiety around phobias or bugs or shots or storms, or I've done every single topic. This is episode 287. 
So, um, and if you can think of an episode I haven't done yet related to a very specific topic, you can let me know. But I feel like the one thing that we do have a lot of control over is how we show up. And I feel like that is the hard part for a lot of us, for most of us. So I, I broke it into three different categories. Our attitude towards our kids' triggers and fears. So this is like when, when we think they're going to be triggered by anxiety or OCD or when it shows up. Our attitude towards their goals. So this is like how they're doing with the skills and the therapy, if they're in therapy or the things you're doing at home. How are their goals going? Their exposures, their challenges, things that you might be doing. And the third one is how do we show up when things get ugly again? And setbacks are are very upsetting. And so how do we show up for that? So those are the three areas I want to talk about because when I thought about it, I felt like those are like three big topics, three big areas that constrain our, our attitude. So let's dive into the first one. So the first one is our attitude when our kids are either going to be triggered or they are triggered. And this is, this is a hard one because let's talk about when our kids are triggered. So when our kids are in a panic or they are in a loop, an OCD loop, or they are, you know, having a hard time, we'll talk about that first. And then I want to talk about when we think they're going to have a hard time because that's a different conversation. I want to get to that conversation too. But when our kids are in the middle of having a hard time, what do we bring to that equation? And each of us will be different in this discussion. And so sometimes we can bring anger, right? We're like angry at the fact that this is happening. And we might be angry because we don't have time for this. (laughs) That's one of my infamous statements at my house that I feel like I say a lot. I I make a lot of comments that come out of my mouth before they hit my brain. And one of them is, I don't have time for this, or I don't have time, or the worst one, which I notice I say a lot is, you're wasting my time. (laughs) That's like the worst thing to say. I mean, if you say it, it's not that bad. But if I say it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a horrible person. And that's where the self-compassion needs to come in, right? Uh, We have to give ourselves some slack, myself included. But I listen. I listen to what I say to my kids. And the first step in everything we're going to be talking about is awareness. And so I can't be aware of what I'm saying to my kids or the attitude that I'm that I'm adding to a situation until I become a little bit more introspective and have a little bit of space. We talked about this in a previous podcast, a little bit of space between my child's issues or struggles or whatever they're presenting to me and how I'm showing up for it. And so having that extra awareness is actually a skill. I mean, that's a skill. And so I have an issue with time. I do. Even though I have plenty of time now, I close my practice so I can focus full-time on global resources for you guys. And so I'm not rushing around and I have older kids now and I'm not rushing around, but I still have me and time. You know, we're not copacetic, (laughs) you know, time is always bothering me and I'm always bothering time. And I've had to learn that that is a construct that I don't have to really buy into, but that's a me thing. You might legitimately have times where you need to get to work or you, and I, I, I have to get somewhere sometimes, but so we can show up with anger because we don't have time for it. And that might be legitimate or may not be legitimate, but that's how we feel. And that is valid in and of itself. We might be angry because we're like, you got to be kidding me. I thought we worked on this. And why are we having a problem with this again? This one was checked off my list. We might be angry because it's scary. And sometimes it's easier to get angry than it is to have a softer emotion. And so for some of us, anger shows up when we are scared. I know when I'm like lost and I can't find where I'm going and I'm driving, I start to shout at whoever's in the car with me, like, look at Google. Why don't you help me? I don't, you know, and I start to lash out and I'm lashing out because fear is showing up. And when fear shows up with pressure, I get angry. And so what is it for you? What attitude shows up for you when your kids are in the middle of an anxiety or OCD issue? And think about that. The other attitude that can show up is overwhelm. So you might be so empathetic that you're pretty enmeshed with your child. And so there's a difference between being, you know, in tune with your child's struggles versus being enmeshed where when your child has struggles, you are struggling. It's like one of the same. And so if your child is having 
a trigger with anxiety or OCD, you might show up with an attitude of fear or overwhelm. You might cry with them. You might crumble with them. You might show up with their trigger with a detachment that's not loving, right? I always talk about being lovingly detached, but you could be detached in a way that you are disciplining it and you are not empathetic at all, right? The other end of the spectrum. And so there's so many different ways that we can show up when our kids are triggered, but pay attention to that. And it's not that you have to berate yourself or beat yourself up for, for showing up in a way that you don't want to, but it it's information. It's data. I always say that it tells us something about what's going on with us. When you notice those things, the other thing that we can show up for is when we think there's a perceived trigger or there's going to be an issue. And this is something that we also bring our attitude with. So do we have an attitude of, you can't handle this? You will not be able to handle this. So I need to go and smooth out this pavement. Let me get my machine and smooth it out before you even see the road. Because I don't want you to see the road bumpy because I don't want to overwhelm you. I want it nice and smooth the way it should be for you. And so do you overprotect your child to the point where you are five miles ahead, smoothing out the road that they haven't even gone on yet. And so cocooning, or are you insensitive? And I'm, what, what I'm trying to do is show you the extremes. And so you, you might be somewhere very much in the middle, or you might sometimes be in one extreme or the other, but I'm trying to highlight the extremes because then you can fill in the gaps, right? Of, you know, where else to put yourself. But the other extreme would be being like completely unaware and insensitive to the things that are going to cause your child some anxiety or OCD. And so what do we do with those things? That's the first category. And I want to give you some examples that have happened in my life on our attitude towards our kids' triggers and fears. And that could be in the present moment, like we just talked about, or a perception of what's to come, as I just said. So one thing that happened to us recently is my kids have to get blood work done because my son has Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid issue. And My daughter has celiac, both autoimmune issues, because that runs in my family. And I do feel like there is a correlation between autoimmune issues and anxiety and OCD. One day we'll just know that for sure, but that's my thought on it. And so they have to get blood work at least every year. I think we're at once a year now for both of them, thankfully. It used to be every six months. And they both have major issues with getting their blood taken. My son has gotten better, but my daughter has a reaction where after she gets her blood work taken, she throws up and then she passes out or she like, like goes black. Like she's almost going to pass out. And my older daughter has passed out when she gets her blood taken, she has POTS. And so I think there's something going on with that. But in the last time she had her blood taken out, she had what looked like to me like a seizure, but I looked it up and I guess that's, you know, that's a response that some people have. Like she was foaming at the mouth and she was unconscious. Anyway, a long story short, I'm very, very anxious when my kids get their blood taken because of those, those situations. When that happened to my oldest daughter, like it freaked me out because it was so, so scary. It's different than just throwing up, but it's like, and besides I have a metaphobia <laughs> related to my kids or me throwing up in public. Remember the core fear for uh, different things, including emetophobia, the fear of throw up can be different for each person. And so for me, it's the embarrassment. It ties into my social anxiety. You're like, wow, Natasha's a mess. (laughs) I got a lot of issues that I have worked on and I have overcome. But the blood work thing, because the last time my daughter got her, my youngest daughter got her blood work taken, I had a tech come to our house and she still threw up and almost passed out. And it's very scary when they like kind of like black out a little bit. So I'm sorry for the long build, but you had to understand where my attitude was coming. So my attitude, and when I'm talking about attitude, I'm not talking about an attitude, like you're giving me attitude. I'm talking about just our attitude towards something, good, bad, or ugly, or anxious, uh, is so nerve wracking. So I had a lab tech come to our house this past weekend. Normally I like prep them. And so, okay, I did get a trash can and I put it like behind my, we we're going to do it in my home office. And so I took, we don't have a trash can in here for some reason. And so when my daughter didn't notice, I think it was like the night before I came, I put a trash bag and I put a trap, like a tiny trash can behind the couch in case she threw up (laughs) because I was already having some anticipatory anxiety. And when the tech came, the tech was like, 
not chatty, not friendly, came in, barely said hi, said, where do you want me? And I didn't have time to prep her. And so the the guy that came last year, I prepped him and I said, and now, so she's sitting there and I'm saying, you know, she gets very anxious and, you know, she often throws up or passes out afterwards. And so maybe we should just have her lay down and let's distract her. And I'm prepping them in front of her. And I didn't have time to do that because this lady was like all business. And so she like had my daughter sit down before I could even put the dog away. I came back and she was already starting to take the blood. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is happening very fast. And I didn't get to prep her and my daughter's not even laying down. And I was like getting like frustrated and she was good with my daughter. She was just like, so what are you doing today? And distracting her. And, and I was about to go sit next to my daughter when I came back in and I realized maybe I should just sit away from her. So I sat across the room and I was so anxious that I thought maybe I should leave because I was feeling really anxious. And the bottom line is, or the end of the story is that she didn't throw up and she didn't almost pass out. And she was excited and she was like, mom, that's the best time ever. Like that, that's the best one ever. Like I didn't have any worries. I didn't throw up. And then I realized, I'm sorry, it's a little bit of a long story. I realized that it was because of my attitude. Like I might've been over prepping and I might've been cocooning to the point where I was making her anxious. And so my attitude of trying to be mama bear and like really make sure that people are going to like treat her with kid gloves in that particular instance over time wasn't helpful. And I'm not saying that's the case for you with your child with blood work or whatever, but I'm just saying like I had an aha moment in that. Now, on the flip side, and I'm not, you know, recommending this, but when my son had to have blood work, he had to have blood work. And I'm just using this as an example because I'm sure you guys can all relate to this. He had to have blood work. I think it was like a week or two after my husband died. And the way that I operate under stress is I just do the things on my to-do list. Like when my mom died, uh, my mom died pretty young. Like she was 59. And when she died and she died suddenly, I mean, there was, she was in the hospital for a little while, but it was like not, not expected. It was just a random heart attack, diabetes thing that happened with her. And she died on a Friday and I, I had a 12, I had 12 appointments that next day. And I just went to work because I didn't know how to do anything other than just show up. And I sadly very good at compartmentalizing, which is not healthy, but I am very good at that. And so I just took him to get his blood work. And when I took him to get his blood work, I was like numb. You know, I was in grief. I was in shock. And, and his dad was the one that normally like has him sit on his lap and holds him lovingly while he gets his blood taken. And And he started to like kind of cry and was like, I can't do this. And I had zero empathy. I was so numb and I got angry because I felt fearful and I felt trapped and I felt overwhelmed. And I was just like, I'm like, you need to do this. You know, I can't help you. And I just kind of barked at him and I said, hold it together. Like completely unloving. His dad just died. And his dad's the one that held his hand and didn't even hold his hand. He like held his entire body, but he did really well because sadly, he got the message, I need to hold it together, which is so horrible. And he hasn't had a problem with blood work since. And I feel horrible about that. But that's the other flip side of it, right? I didn't like, I mean, it, it's not a good story because it actually says like, wow, it really worked. He's okay. And he's okay now. But I didn't like that attitude. That's not how I want to show up for him. Um, so somewhere in the middle would have been really good. So when we are showing up for our kids, anxiety or OCD, whether it's in the moment, right? We want to say, I'm a teacher, like my goal in this, what's my role in this right now? What am I coaching them through? And this is obviously in a perfect world, you know, that'll be on my gravestone. Tasha says in a perfect world, you know, because it's never perfect. But if my intention is, if they're being triggered in the moment, then I have to ask myself, what is my role and pick a role. When my daughter was getting blood work, my role is to be stoic, to be comforting, to be loving but to maybe less is more in that situation for her. Or if my child is having a hard time going to take a shower and it's scary and it's dark, what's my role? What's, what am I trying to cheerlead them to do? And so I'm maybe validating, right? That, you know, I'm normalizing it. I understand it's scary. I understand that it's scary. And then maybe my next goal is to cheerlead and coach them. And so then maybe I would say, 
what do you think you need to do? That's what I do at my house a lot because I want to foster independence. So I'll often say, what do you think you need to do? And then um, this actually just happened with the shower. So I'm using that as an example. My daughter was having a hard time with the shower. Like they're taking turns being afraid of the shower. And so she said, well, I need to go check the closet. I said, that's right. That's great. I love that. Right. So my attitude is positive. Why don't you go do that? Well, can you do it? I could, but I think that you're very powerful. And I think that you could probably do it too. I don't want to do it. Well, why don't I walk? I'll walk to the door with you and then you can go do the rest. My goal is to get her to take at least some independent steps towards taking a shower by herself. When you actually pull yourself out of the emotion, which I know is hard to do, and you say to yourself in that moment, what is my goal? It tends to help the attitude because attitude comes from just blind emotion, right? Attitude just comes from either overwhelm or fear or it could be positive, but it's often negative because we are lost in the moment. But when I zoom out of the moment and I say to myself, what do I want to accomplish in this moment? What's my role? I don't get to accomplish. She's going to take a shower independently. Uh, Okay. (laughs) That's not really a hundred percent in my control. I don't get to control whether she's successful or she fails in that mission. But my goal in that moment is to get her as close as I can to being independent and to taking the steps towards tackling her fears. So identifying them and just asking, what do you need? What do you think you need to do? Because my kids are well-trained. So that would be the goal with me. So the more you do that, the more automatic it becomes where it's not like I even am aware that I'm doing it. I'm not aware that I'm thinking, what's my goal? I just go right into that mode. But you might have to purposely prompt yourself in that moment to say, what do I want to be doing right now? And and ask yourself, is that something I control or is that something they control? Because if the goal is I want to get them to school, you don't 100% control that. So get very macro on it. I mean, micro. <laughs> I was like, why did I say macro? That was weird. You want to get really tiny and just say, my goal is to validate that they're feeling scared about going to school and to get them to get their shoes on right? Very tiny goals. That's my goal is just to get their shoes on. Then the next goal, the next goal. And then if we're talking about things outside of a current trigger, like I just talked about, let me try to think of an example. Well, let's just take what I just talked about and flip it. So let's say my daughter is going to take a shower the next time. And before I even tell her to take a shower, I turn on all the lights and I tell her I went and I already checked the closet. You're good to go. Well, that isn't giving her an opportunity to even see if it would bother her right? When we assume these things and we do these things proactively because we love our kids and we don't want to see them in pain. And maybe we don't want to see ourselves in pain if we are so connected that their struggles are our struggles. We might take care of them. We might overtake care of them. So I might in that instance, go and and do all those things and then let them know, Hey, all right, go take a shower. I already checked the closet. I already put the lights on. And that is one robbing them of an experience of discomfort that they have to actually problem solve their way out of. And if it's something different at your house, replace all my examples with something that resonates with you. Because everything I'm talking about can be related to anything about anxiety or OCD. So think about what things do you do proactively, preemptively, so that your child doesn't have to struggle with a fear or a discomfort. And it also conveys to them, and it's not anyone's intention typically, that you don't believe in them. You don't think they can handle it. And so it actually reinforces the anxiety or OCD. So it's better for them to experience something. And then, yes, they might have that same problem again, or they may not, or they might problem solve it, or it may not even show up. So, but it will definitely show up if you already tell them, right? Just like me telling the nurse or the tech, she does this and she does this and she has a hard time and did it. I'm like, I'm spoon feeding her fear because <laughs> that's what I do over at this house. We spoon feed fear. So yeah, the awareness is so helpful because then when you realize you do these things, then you'll catch it better the next time. Doesn't mean that you'll necessarily not do it, but you'll catch it and you might have to keep doing it over and over until you really work on it. I mean, I continue to make these mistakes because I'm a human being. But the more I'm aware of it and the more I'm like, I didn't like the way that felt or I want to show up differently, the better I do. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. 
It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, so we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding your touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. I definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Okay, moving on to the second one. So the second one is your attitude towards your child's goals. So this can be if they're doing ERP, exposure with response prevention, an OCD treatment that you should definitely know about if your child has OCD. You can learn more about ERP. I have a podcast fully on ERP, you can go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com and just go to the search button at the very bottom and type in ERP and you'll get all those resources on that. Or if your child is doing, sometimes I call them challenges, or if they have goals, just like therapy goals or therapy homework or things that you want them to do to crush their anxiety or OCD. And what is your attitude towards those? And so I, again, I see this swinging in, in lots of different directions because we have parents that are too harsh and are too negative. And that can be due to their lack of understanding of anxiety or OCD, their fear that this is a problem they can't control, their own anxiety or OCD. It can be for any of those reasons. And then you can swing into the fully opposite direction where you can have someone who who coddles and over empathizes, over gets it, over protects, right? And so in parenting, I feel like there's always those two extremes and it's finding our way back to middle. And you might gravitate to one extreme or the other, which is even more confusing to a kid because they don't know which parent they're going to get. Or you might have one parent on one extreme and the other parent on the other extreme, which is also really disorienting for a kid because they're getting mixed messages. One is incredibly punitive and one is incredibly coddling. And a lot of times that's happening because I call it seesaw parenting because one parent sees the other parent doing something too extreme. And so they try to auto-correct or over-correct. And so if you have a parent who thinks you're too coddling, they're more authoritative and more strict and then vice versa. And so it can be really, really difficult. And a lot of us are in those situations. That's not an uncommon situation. It's something that I hear about so often in the AT parenting community, in my membership community. So that is common. You're not alone if you're dealing with that. But your attitude towards your child's efforts towards anxiety or OCD can really swing. And it impacts because if you have a child who is making small steps, and this has happened a lot in my practice, I see this in my community, I see it often that a child is doing 
some things that I think are pretty amazing. They are they are talking about anxiety or OCD. Just talking about it is more than not talking about it. And so they are able to identify maybe some other anxiety or OCD, or maybe they're even willing to do some exposures or some challenges. And the parent who is, you know, operating from a lack will see that that's not enough. And so that that attitude gets conveyed to their child because they'll say, you know, well, you did one exposure today, but yesterday you didn't do any. Or, you know, that exposure, you know, I think that's not big enough. It didn't, it didn't look like it upset you enough. Or, yeah, you could do that exposure, but you still can't touch this, this, and this. Or you still can't go to school. Or you still can't sleep in your own bed. The yeah butter, right? We all have yeah butters in our lives. And are you a yeah butter? And a yeah butter is someone who it's not enough. You know, yeah, you did that, but did you do this, this, and this? Um, and I hear yeah butters in, in parents too when you talk about, therapy approaches or how to do this. Yeah, but that won't work because blah, blah, blah. And so they're already kind of feeling like things aren't going to work before they even give it a try. So that really impacts kids when you feel like, or when you're approaching them with a lack mentality of it wasn't enough, it wasn't big enough. And maybe you say, no, but Natasha, it really isn't. It's not enough. But getting them to do more isn't going to happen by having a lack mentality and telling them that they're not doing enough. When someone tells me I'm not doing enough, I tend to do less. I'm like one of those people, like if you're riding up my butt, and I hate that. When pe- and I, I don't know, in Arizona, I feel like maybe it's in your state too. They just, they ride right up your butt. And I feel like people are just so much more, they're angrier and they're hostile lately in society. And I'm, I am really trying to tone down my communicating that to my kids <laughs> because I'm always like, people are so angry these days. They are, you know, I think just the world and whatever. But anyway, if they ride up my butt, I slow down more, not so much so that I'm actually being obnoxious, but I look at my speed and I say, am I, oh, I'm going five miles over the speed limit. Let me slow down and not to make them angry, but it's like, you're not going to intimidate me to go faster. That's not how I operate. And it's the same thing with our kids. When you feel like they're going too slow and you start to make them feel like they're not doing enough, they say, you know what the little I was doing? Maybe that was just, it's not worth it because it's not making you happy. And that's a problem in and of itself that they feel like they have to do these things to make you happy and it's not coming from them. And it's not making a difference anyway. You're communicating, it's not making a difference. I believe you, it's not making a difference. And so, what's the point? And so, it does have a huge impact on whether our kids build up some momentum or not. So, what do you do with that? Well, you celebrate those small successes. I know that sounds cheesy sometimes, but honestly, you have to fake it till you make it. Even if in your head you're going, yeah, she is never going to actually get to school. Like we're celebrating that she sat in the in the parking lot for like five minutes. And how, how are we going to move from five minutes in the parking lot in a car to going to school all day? Well, if you think about it that way, that's so overwhelming. Like not only for your child, but that's overwhelming for you. And so I just look at my feet and I look at my next step. What's my next step? What's my next step? What's my next step? You know, maybe now we're going to do 10 minutes and now we're going to do 15 minutes and and I'm going to praise, you know, it's so great that you got dressed and you came in the car and you sat here. I know this is uncomfortable for you and you should be so proud of yourself and you are so brave to come and sit in the car. And if you don't feel it or believe it, you can still communicate it because when you communicate that, then kids feel good and they're more likely to do a little bit longer next time, a little bit longer. I'll give you an example that happened in my life yesterday. You know, my kids are starting to independently come and I think this would be a good class, how to get our kids to independently do exposures in a more natural way. I think that might be a good a good episode to do. But he's been doing, oh, I know why he's doing this actually now that I think about it. He is motivated because he needs something for his VR. <laughs> so, you know, if you if you communicate to your kids that they cannot have really anything beyond their needs unless they earn it, it really moves the dial. I was just thinking about this. I'm like, why was he asking to do eating exposures yesterday? And I forgot he's working on getting these VR grips that broke on his handles. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because it's great because he's thinking about it. And so he he said, Mom, I have this piece of chicken and I don't want to eat it. My OCD says it's too chewy. I spit some out already could I earn five points if I eat this? And I said, yeah, 
we do have a rule at my house. You, you can't do an exposure and get points unless you get permission first, because I don't like when he does something or he survives something. And then all of a sudden he wants points for it. And it's like, no, you have to like get approval before you even start it. And so he started eating the chicken. And as he's doing the exposure, he is saying to me, I'm not going to do it with sauce because that's kind of a compulsion for him is to one of his intrusive thoughts is his mouth is getting too dry. And so he's going to choke like he doesn't. And because he gets anxious about it, I think he actually does start to lose saliva. And so it starts to get scary for him. And so a couple of compulsions that he identified a long time ago are like using overusing sauces, taking multiple sips of a drink as he eats. Those are two of the main ones besides over chewing and other things. And so he said, I'm not going to drink. And I said, that's great. And then a few minutes later, he's like, mom, I'm not going to use any sauces. And I was like, that's amazing. I love how you are like identifying what your compulsions are. And so I actually then said, you know, if you don't do those things, then I'll give you an extra two points because that's amazing. And so what's happening is this give and take, this positive attitude of like recognizing and praising that he is identifying his compulsions, that he is, you know, he's the creator of this exposure. And so our attitude of praising each step and highlighting it, you might notice things in your head, but how often do we actually say them out loud? Like, I'm impressed that you actually came up with the idea of this exposure. I'm impressed that you are, I noticed that you walked by that doorknob and you didn't wipe your hand afterwards, or you didn't touch it with your elbow, like you touched it with your hand. Or I'm impressed that I noticed when you went to school, you know, you didn't ask me the reassurance question. These like noticing and verbalizing that can be really, really empowering for our kids. So he gets done with almost all of the chicken. And I didn't think he was going to be able to eat any of it. It was a huge piece. And he said, I can't do it, mom. I just can't do it. Like I ate like two thirds. He's all about math. I ate two thirds of the chicken, but I just can't get this one third. And I looked at it. It was actually really small. I was surprised. And there was some, some that were spit out a little bit. I don't know if that was before he started the exposure or not, because I hadn't been babysitting him. And in that moment, I could have had an attitude of like, oh, well, you know, you gave it a good try, but better luck next time. You know, it's good that you came up with the exposure and not give him the points. And what would that do? That would make, that would leave him feeling like a failure. He ate two thirds of the chicken without doing any compulsions, I don't believe. And he would lose everything or he wouldn't have gained anything. And if my attitude is he never tries enough or it's not good enough, or, you know, he, his food, his eating is so bad. And, you know, he's only doing a little bit, then my response would most likely be, well, next time you'll have to eat all of it. Or, no, you need to eat the last bit. I could even get in a power struggle. Just eat the last bit. You're almost there. Why won't you just eat the last bit? Right. But I know him and I know when he says he's done, he's done. And so do I want him to leave with a positive slant on the experience or a negative slant. And so I want it to be positive. And I was in that moment. I've been in more Zen moments lately. I, they come and they go. And I said to him, well, you should be really proud because you ate a massive amount of that chicken and you didn't. And I'm now I'm reviewing, I'm reviewing the exposures. I'm reviewing the compulsions he didn't do. You didn't drink. You didn't use sauce. That was a hard exposure. And so I had said, I would give him seven points. And I said, I will give you still the original five points because I think you did phenomenal. That's a win. That exposure is a win. And he was excited and he was happy. And that was the end of that. And so showing up and praising the steps and the effort that they make, even if it's small, is really good. When my kids were super little, I used to do this thing. And I know this sounds really weird. Like they wouldn't clear their plate. And I don't know, my house, pick up after yourself, right? It bothers me. If like you're eating somewhere and you don't put your plate in the sink, that bothers me because I am not your slave. And so I would like, as my child is getting up and leaving the table and leaving their plate there, I would say, thank you for clearing your plate. (laughs) And they would kind of look at me weird and they'd go and they would pick up their plate. It was like right before they actually left their plate there. It was like that millisecond. And I would just say, thank you for clearing your plate. And they would go do it. And that's because I was praising them for something they hadn't done yet. And it felt good. And it felt good enough that they were like, I will do this. So when your child even takes like a micro step towards discomfort in the smallest sense, I think that we don't notice even the smallest sense. Praise that. 
And I, you know, I try to use language like you should be so proud of yourself or I'm impressed that you blah, blah, blah. I want them to feel proud of themselves. I don't want it to be about me, you know? And so I don't want to say I'm so proud of you that you did this, but I also don't beat myself up about it if I do use that language because I once read this parenting book and it was all about, don't say, you know, good boy or good girl. And don't say, I'm so proud of you. And, and then I couldn't even parent for a week like because I'm such an anxious person. I just kept getting tripped up and I'd be like, I'm so proud of you. No, wait, wait, that's wrong. You, you should be so proud of yourself. It messed me up very badly. And so I, I want to do my part in not messing anyone else up by being like, don't say this. And you should say that it's like, we can have intentions, but sometimes things are going to just fly out of your mouth and it's okay. Let it go. <laughs> so I think it can be really helpful to highlight those little tiny, tiny steps. Another example of that, just the other day, gosh, we've had a lot of experiences with anxiety and OCD lately, again, with my daughter with the shower. So she did go and check the closet by herself. And then she wasn't, she was still was not able to take a shower. And so I said to her, you know, we talk about red thoughts and green thoughts. That's from my crush anxiety course. And that's, you know, my method that I use with my kids when they have anxiety and not OCD. And I was like, what are your green thoughts? And she did, and she was still feeling anxious. And so I said to her, well, why don't you leave the door a little bit open and we'll make sure not to go near it's in my bedroom because their shower's upstairs and they're downstairs and I'm okay with that and take a shower and none of us will go in there. And that way you can feel a little bit safer. Like I can hear you. And she said, okay, I'll do that. Which I didn't think she would do. Cause I know for me at that age, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have been good enough. So she took a shower and she closed the door. And depending on my attitude, I could have seen that as a loss. Oh my gosh. My child who used to, who's normally able to go and take a shower, perfectly fine. No issues. Now she has to have her door open. What a headache. You know, we're regressing. Everything's going backwards. Or I can say, you know what? She was terrified to take a shower. She went and checked the closet by herself and she was able to take a shower in my room with the door open. You know, that's still progress from a fear of not wanting to take a shower at all. And then how do you praise her afterwards? And I said to her, you know, when I was your age, I was so anxious about taking, actually, we talked about this the day after we were driving to school. And I said, I don't know why we're talking about showers, but I said, when I was your age, I had to have my sister sit on the toilet when I took a shower and, and she would have to sing because I needed, I needed to know that she was actually there and didn't leave. And that went up all the way through my teen years. No joke. I was terrified of taking a shower. And I said, because my parents didn't work on my anxiety or I didn't have OCD, but they didn't work on my anxiety. I didn't know that it was anxiety. I didn't know that by having my sister sit there, that it was kind of fueling my anxiety. So when I grew up, I had to have shower curtains that were that were clear because I was afraid like I needed to see if someone was going to pop out at me and I couldn't take a shower by myself. If there was no one in the house, I couldn't take a shower. And so when I was like divorced, I had a husband and I got divorced and I had only one child who was like two or three at the time when I didn't have her with me, taking a shower was really hard. And then my daughter said, oh, is that why we have a clear shower? Because right now in my bathroom, we have actually like a glass shower, which I love because I can see in all directions. But I said, no, that was just a coincidence. It was just like funny that it was just a perfect shower for me. I go, but my whole point is I had to work on that. Like, you know, I take showers now all the time. You know, my husband died. I'm alone. I need a shower. But I said, I don't want you to grow up, you know, having an issue like that. The whole reason why I have an issue is because I never tackled it in childhood. And so I may not get rid of all my anxiety stuff, but that one could have been gone if I had worked on it as a kid. And that's why when you are afraid of the shower, because they've both been, I said, that's why we work on it. That's why I like, I encourage you. And that's why I let you know that, you know, it's anxiety and you take these brave steps because when you build up the skills, then you'll, you'll not have to do that when you're an adult. And we want to educate our kids. We want them to understand why we are doing what we're doing or why we're motivating them to do what we want them to do. We want them to understand that. And sharing that story helps validate their fears and helps get them to realize that I do understand and why I'm trying to encourage them to take brave steps. And so that can help too with the attitude is connecting and educating. 
The last one I just want to mention is our attitude towards setbacks. And so again, with setbacks, we can feel so overwhelmed. I see people posting, especially in my public large Facebook group, I will see messages, uh, not messages, but threads that are like, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm done. I want to drive away and never come back. And posts that I read, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's that kind of makes me nervous. Like I'm crying and I'm telling my kid, I can't do this anymore. And I just, I'm done and I can't do it. And I get it. Like I too, I truly get it. Like it's exhausting. If we're having those, those emotions though in front of our kids, or we're, we think that they're not listening and we're on the phone with someone trying to get support or they're reading over our shoulder that can add to the stress of the setback because for them to have a setback is overwhelming in and of itself anyway. But then sometimes as parents, we have big reactions to setbacks in front of them or around them where they see it. And, you know, sometimes we have our own mental health issues. And if that's happening, we just have to, we have to be like, okay, I need to get my own support. I need to get my own therapist. I need to come up with a support plan. The first person I have to take care of is myself. Because if you're at a a place where you can't even control that because you're so overwhelmed and your child sees that, then you have to get your own support first, long-term, so that the next time your child has to set back, it doesn't throw you into a deep depression or a level of anxiety that's paralyzing. But the other reaction can be anger, which I totally get too. Like, we are done with this. We've been here. We've done that. I've spent a lot of money on treatment, or maybe you've been in treatment, whether it's therapy, and I'm not going to have you do this again. <laughs> I laugh because it's like, like we have a choice in the matter. And so it can be important to tune in with yourself and say, I get that this is upsetting. And the, you know, a reframe that is important that I do for a lot of parents in my AT parenting community, and I did in my practice as well, is that anxiety and OCD can be cyclical. It's, I often equate it to going to the gym. It's like you build those muscles, but you haven't been to the gym in a while. And sometimes things get better and you stop going to the gym metaphorically, like working on anxiety or OCD, or there's nothing that you feel there that you can work on. And even if you have been going to the gym, you know, sometimes just things get harder for a little while. And the good news is that And I do have a whole podcast on this, you know, like what to do when things come back. I forgot what it was called though. I was going to be lazy for a second, but then I decided not to. It's episode 272, dealing with disappointment when anxiety or CD comes back. So if that is you, you can go check that out after this one. But a lot of emotions show up and it's not as hard to get our kids back to where they were because once those muscles have been developed, it's easy to get them back. And so it can seem like all skills are lost. Everything is lost. You're starting from scratch. How can you do this? Like if this is going to happen over and over again, then what's the point? And that's how your child is feeling for sure. But it's important for you to realize and then convey to them that it can feel like all is lost, but it doesn't take as much time to get those skills back and to get that progress going where you're actually two steps ahead of where you've been. And so just watching how you show up towards their setbacks. I know when my son had a setback recently that I talked about in other podcasts where he was afraid of the shower. We're dealing with a lot of shower things lately. And I know that will come and that will go. And that's okay because that's just part of the process. I get it because I was terrified of the shower and they'll watch something. And then for a few weeks, the shower is a problem and then it's not again, but it's an opportunity to build those muscles. I see it as an opportunity to practice the things that I try to teach them you know, it's an opportunity for me to say, well, what do you think you should be doing? And then they're able to say, okay, well, I need to do this, this, and this. And so that solidifies those skills that maybe they haven't had an opportunity to practice. And so you can see it in a weird silver lining kind of way. It's not that you're asking for these problems, but is it an opportunity for them to flex their skills and to solidify those, those skills again? Because actually when a child has no anxiety or OCD for a very long period of time. Like, you know, they, maybe they had a big issue at seven or eight and nothing until they're 25. Those skills are, are very rusty and developmentally like inappropriate. They learned them at seven or eight and now they're 25. They might be starting much farther back than a child who then has an issue at 11 and then has an issue at 13 and then has an issue at 16 or has small issues every single month, you know, that aren't like rocking the boat too bad, but it's again, something else they have to work on. It actually can be helpful 
because they are just fine tuning those skills in life, which is not, not a horrible thing. So I think it can be really important to help our kids understand and reframe their setbacks with those kind of analogies and how we show up to those things can be important. And so what I was going to say is when my son came out of the shower the other day in a towel and I saw how skinny he was and I realized he's lost all this weight, I did like my attitude was horrible because I didn't pause. I didn't think about my reaction. I just went right into, you got to be kidding me. Why are you so skinny? Anger. I just showed up with anger, like yelling at him. You know, I'm not really a yeller most of the time. I'm more of like, it's my tone, you know, and I was saying that this is his deal and I can't monitor everything he eats. And, but what, what was actually behind all that was a feeling of guilt and responsibility. You know, so I was angry with him for making me feel guilty and responsible. And I was saying to him, you're 13. If you're not eating, you need to let me know. If you're having a hard time again, you need to let me know and putting it all on him. But my attitude was like that he's doing something to me instead of pausing and saying, okay, what, what's my role in this? What's my goal right now? I need to objectively see how much weight he's lost and we need to come back with a new ERP plan. He needs to go back on more of his medication. And my point in sharing that story is it's very hard to get non-emotional and get more of a task-oriented mentality. When we do though, we show up in such a better way. And that, that moment was just lost because I responded in that way. And that's okay because that's not today. That was in the past. And you know, whenever I wake up in the morning and I feel bad about something that happened the day before, I just say, that was in the past. What's happening right now? What's in front of me right now? How do I want to be right now? Every day's a new day. <laughs> and I say that a lot. Every day's a new day. Every day's a new day. And maybe you need to say that too. So I hope that this episode helped on some level. We were a little all over the place, just trying to talk about different ways our attitude can show up and how it can help. If you are enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to hit a star where you consume your podcasts and rate it if you have some time. I always like to end my show reading one of them if somebody has left a review. And I want to thank Hannah, who wrote, great for consultants, not just parents. I'm not a parent for a preteen or teenager yet, but I am a community-based behavior consultant and love listening to these podcasts. They are great to bring knowledge to my sessions and pass along to parents who can apply in their own home. And I love that. I love hearing how professionals are able to utilize this podcast as another tool to help educate. So thank you so much, Hannah, for taking the time to write a review. I really appreciate that. And maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.